Hi, I'm Rafael Esarn, and you're listening to the Quick Pit Podcast. Quick Pit Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan, joined by Connor. He's back from being sick, although this week I'm the one who's sick, so if I sound a little odd, uh, I'm sure Connor has already noticed, but uh, I am quite congested right now, but uh, it's all good. Feel fine to record, but we have a big, big race to break down, a cutoff race. Probably, well, on Jeff Gluck's poll, it was the best race of the season, but before we get into that, any of that, we have a word from our partner, Connor. Yes, our partner is Zensen is an up-and-coming YouTuber who has great videos and talks about everything that you can think of about NASCAR. Um, What-if videos, update videos, all sorts of things. And it's great editing and great audio. And we know what makes or breaks a YouTuber is those two things. And he's great at both. He was on last week, covered for me because I was feeling awful. He is worth a subscription on YouTube and he's worth a follow over on Twitter. So go make sure you do both of those. Links will be in the top of the description below. You won't want to, it's, won't want to miss a video from him. It's, it's great. That is 100% correct. We would love for you to go check him out. He's a good friend of ours. But Connor, we have an amazing race to break down. You want to get started with 10th place. We'll break down the top 10 before we get into the drama that happened post-race. Yeah, there were, there were some major drama there, but I think this was one of the best races of the season. We'll get right here with the 10th place finisher, Matt Benedetto, who we all thought could run really well. personally showing in the past, and he does exactly that, grabbing a top 10, a solid top 10. And we don't know his future yet, but uh, top 10 will definitely help his confidence going forward the rest of the season. Going in ninth, Denny Hamlin, he won a stage, led 65 laps, ultimately faded a little bit at the end. Still a good run, and caps off a very solid round one for the Joe Gibbs racing driver. Yeah, he was one of those 12 drivers at advance. I don't know if you saw this here, because the TV kind of showed it real quick, but I think he was racing Chase Elliott or someone and hit them, hit hit him, cut down a tire like immediately, went up to the wall, got some small damage on the right side, went up and pitted, and was able to bounce back to a ninth place finish, which I think is pretty solid for that, um, but it wasn't major damage at all. Coming home eighth in the 43 car, Eric Jones, a very impressive run for that team. Um, he's going back there next year, um, and hopefully this can give some give some momentum going into the new year, new car, and uh, great to see him getting a solid top 10 finish. Coming home at seventh is Martin Truex Jr., last week's winner at Richmond, and once again, solid run for him. Uh, not not many stage points, only five laps led, but still he was in there running in the top 10 all night. So good run for the 19 car. I would be lying if I said anything. I thought it would be a lot quicker. Um, just kind of was not a top five car. It was, seemed like it was sixth, seventh, eighth place finish the entire night. But coming up sixth in the two car, Brad Koslowski, a solid run for him. And he had a very solid first round of playoffs, getting points and points and points. And he was easily able to get through to this uh, next round. He would finish fourth in stage one and even third in stage two. So he was a really good fast race car and was very easily able to advance the next round. We all thought maybe, maybe, just maybe, he would be the weird, you know, surprise driver that was able to follow the playoffs first round like Ryan Blaney did last year, but um, had a very impressive first round. Yes, coming over in fifth, Connor's driver, Alex Bowman. And I must say, Connor, you missed the first two stages. For the first part of the race, he looked slow. They did not have a handle on that car. He was running 15, 16, 17th all throughout the race. He's bouncing above and below the cut line, never more than one or two points to the good or to the bad. They fixed something in that car, got some track position, and it was fast. He gets up to a top five, easily locks himself in, especially with the problems that guys like Kyle Busch and Christopher Bell had late in the race. To uh, get a very solid run, a lot of good, much-needed momentum going into the second round. Yeah, I wasn't able to watch the first stages, as you mentioned. And uh, Ethan was texting me just every once in a while, just giving me updates on the playoff bubble. And he was like, Bowman's slow. I'm like, oh, great. They didn't show up on the one race he needed to. Turned it on in the third stage. And as soon as I turned it on, he turned into a rocket ship. He was flying. Um, did have people that were going a little crazy with Kyle Busch and Christopher Bell, who probably wouldn't be running as hard. Um, 
they wish they weren't running as hard because they were pretty much locked in at that point and made things really interesting down the cut line, but actually finished ninth in in the bubble after the round of 16. So he was looking actually really comfortable, but did not feel that way. And it was not, it was close the entire night until the state uh, third stage, but uh, just great to see him advance and both Hendrick cars, all four Hendrick cars advance. Coming on fourth, Ryan Blaney. And man, he has been on some type of role after winning those last couple races in the regular season. And, I think he could go all the way. I really do. I think he would be a dark horse championship favorite. And he's just been very impressive the last couple of weeks. And uh, that team is on a roll. Going over third, William Byron, another driver who, like Bowman, was below the cut line for a decent amount of the night and really turned it on in the final stage. Um, he almost got second there at the end, but a very solid run. A lot of good momentum for that 24 team that struggled recently into the next round, third place for William Byron. Hendrick, Hendrick came to Bristol and showed out. They were awesome. All four cars were really good. We'll talk about one of those drivers, but uh, Bowman and Byron, who were below the cut line or right at it, needed to have good runs. Byron needed to have a top three run. He did. He needed to. He was only plus two points. He really needed to have a good run, and this was very impressive by William Byron that he, under pressure, came out and showed out. So, very solid run. Very impressive run for that 2014. I think – Hold on, Connor. I think this shows how much he's grown over the last year because he came into last year's Bristol cutoff race in a very similar situation, and he got wrecked uh, and fell out of the playoffs because of it. This year he goes out and gets it gets it done, and uh, it's very impressive. Coming home second, sauce to Kevin Harvick. We'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it in a minute here. But yeah, it was pretty funny with him post race. But uh, came home second. Doesn't deserve second, I don't think. Kind of maybe ran someone high and cut down a tire. We'll talk about it. I don't want to say too much, but Kevin Harvick's second place uh, at Bristol this past weekend. And coming home in first, Kyle Larson. He may or may not have deserved this win. We'll talk about that in a few minutes as well. But his sixth win of the year, he led the most laps. He's a very, very good race car. And, you know, I think he could have won it on his own, too, without the help that he got. But uh, definitely did not hurt to have that help. Sixth win of the year, as I said, he's already locked into the next round. But this adds to his uh, playoff point total. He could almost wreck in the next two races and still make it through to the final round. Yeah, and uh, he is one heck of a driver. When he passed Kevin Harvick for the lead, Kevin Harvick was pushing them all down the back front stretch or back stretch, one of them too. And he was sideways. I mean, he's pointed a full, probably 45 degrees. Like he was going right for the wall and was able to save it. I posted a picture on Twitter just to show you what it was, how the car was out of shape. And somehow he saved it. One of the best saves I've seen all year. Very impressive save for Kyle Larson. And if you're up to it, I don't want to wait any longer. I want to get into this Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick incident. You want to play those clips? Yeah, we'll get started with the two. Actually, we should explain what happened first. So with about, let's say, 30 to go, give or take. I think it was 32 laps to go. Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick going for the win, going for the lead at least. One, two. Harvick goes under Elliott into the corner. Elliott takes the middle line, lap cars up top. Harvick misses the corner or tries to lean on or bump. He gets into Elliott, pushes him into the wall, cuts Elliott's tire down. Elliott has to pit, taking him out of the race, putting him three laps down. But he comes out with fresh tires right behind Harvick. A couple laps later, he passes Harvick and um, goes on to park himself, basically, right in front of Harvick, blocking his line for the rest of the race, allowing Kyle Larson to catch up, pass Harvick for the lead, and the pass was for the win as well with four laps to go, and Larson goes on to win. And then when they pull into pit road, they have a big old shoving fight argument. And Connor, I know there's one thing you want to get into this. Uh, you alluded to it earlier, but uh, go ahead. Well, when they both exited the cars, they were both hot and they were both trying to get out as fast as possible. But my one question is, why was Chase Elliott the only one to take his helmet off? It looked like Kevin Harvick came out, and I know he might not always do that, but, I mean, take your helmet off. You're looking like you, you came up there wanting to push him, push Elliot or punch him. Don't go in there thinking that your helmet 
he, he might have not it might have not been on purpose to keep his helmet on, but it's like I don't know. He just I I, I don't like Kevin Harvick at all. And you look like a wimp when you're standing there with your helmet still on when you're having a shoving fight with another driver. You look like a wimp. It's like a couple of years ago, Michael McDowell, Daniel Suarez fighting on pit road. McDowell keeps his helmet on. He looks like such a dork keeping his helmet on. Looks like he's scared of getting hurt, which he probably was. But, you know, um, honestly, I'm just thrilled that uh, we have a good rivalry, you know, that we have a good feud for the rest of the playoffs. And I will be very interested to see how this goes. Bristol Night Race always brings out emotions, especially on the cut line, and it showed exactly why. Kevin Harvick has not had a win yet this year and was so close and was pretty much doing anything he could to get that win and was mad, but he couldn't get the win. And he's even a, he's a bad spot now for the next round because he's going to be really struggling. And it's just – it's tough, but you can't do that. And they had a bunch – Chase and Kevin had a bunch of talks. They talked on pit road with the chubbing. Of course, they were officials got in the way and cleared them out. They went in the nine hauler talks. I think they talked multiple times. So I quickly want to mention before we get to the interview on NASCAR Radioactive this week. You heard Chase Elliott. I really recommend go watching this. You can find it on a you know, NASCAR on Fox YouTube channel. But he says, I'm just going to say bleep every time he, you know, uses a bad word. So that bleep does that bleep every bleep week. Drive right into you and get a flat tire, bleep him. And then he goes to pit road to get uh, redo the damage. And he was like, where's a five? I'm going to help him. So I just, I thought that was great. And um, emotions get the best of, uh, best of us. And I, um, I, this is exactly what NASCAR needs a good old rivalry. So Ethan, you want to play the clips of the two uh, Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott's comments after uh, the hard fought Bristol race. Yeah. We'll start with Kevin Harvick. Uh, There might be a little bit of language. I honestly forget who said what, so we'll get right into it. And Kevin Harvick, of course, uh, not happy with Chase Elliott. So let's start there. What was the conversation between you and Chase after the race? I just told him, you know, it was kind of a chick move that he did there at the end. You know, we race, we're racing for the freaking win at Bristol. We're three wide in the middle, and he throws a temper tantrum like, like, um, you know, I was just trying to trying to get the lead and racing hard. Then he pulls up in front of me and just sits there until I lose the whole lead. So, you know, just hate it for our Subway Ford Mustang team. Um, you know, to, to be able to lose a race like that. And I watched him let the 24 go by, and, and then anytime you run into him, it's a problem. So they can boo all they want. I don't care. How much of this is compounded by the fact that you were so close to winning and, and to have it slip away, but then also what happened uh, when you when he went by you again? Yeah, well, I just I lost so much there. And then, you know, when I got behind the car, I kept getting tied off the corner, and I couldn't run my line. So, um I'm, I'm ready to rip somebody's freaking head off. It's Bristol, baby. If you're going to rip someone's head off, maybe you should get your helmet off too. So the other guy, don't look like a wimp if you want to rip a head off because that guy will come right back at you and do the same. Get your helmet off, buddy. And they can boo you all I want. I'll boo you again. Boo Kevin Harvick. I think Kevin Harvick has made himself a villain and a hero as well because I think Chase Elliott is one of the most polarizing has one of the most polarizing fan bases in the in the garage we'll get into more of that once we're done playing the second interview with chase elliott he runs into your left side constantly at other tracks and, and sometimes it does cut down your left side others other times it didn't or it doesn't he did it to me in darlington a few weeks ago because he was tired of racing with me and, and whether he did it on purpose it doesn't matter you know at some point you got to draw the line so um, I don't care who he is or how long he's been doing it. I'm going to stand up for myself and my team, and, you know, we'll go on down the road. This happens a lot of places. You said things like this typically happen at Bristol, and then you went to affect the race uh, ahead of them. I just ran my line, and I'm super happy for Kyle, man. He's uh, had a heck of a year. You know, he, he's a good dude and, and a great race car driver. Deserves deserves his accomplishments and, and deserves his success. So I'm happy for him, happy for Team Hendrick. Um, wish we could have got our Hooters. Chevrolet and Victory Lane, but we'll try again next week. On to Vegas. They're through to the next round. And I think he said everything right. I don't think there was, like, Kevin Harvick does usually race with people really hard and gets, will use them up sometimes. And that's just Kevin Harvick's racing, and that's perfectly fine. I've been race like that, but 
as Elliot said, you have to draw the line somewhere. And I think um, I, I think Elliot, what Elliot did was perfectly fine. If you want to get, a, you have to get around. Him. So um, I see both sides, but I think I think Elliot has the best point here. I think Elliot has the right to be mad at Harvick for costing him the race, and I think Harvick has the right to be mad at Elliot for costing him the race. So. Uh... It'll be very interesting to see how these two race each other in the next couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, I'm just so excited that we have another rivalry. Yeah, and we of course did our weekly poll on how what how many stars you would rate it. We only got five votes this week, but um, I give it a five. I think Ethan can pretty much agree with me on that. Best race, one of the best races so far. And 60% of you guys had five stars, 20% said four. And 20% three, said three stars, which is one vote. But I, I, I just don't see a three-star race. So, um, That's an Elliott fan or a Harvick probably. fan. Great, 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 great race. And um, I love this too. I quickly want to mention here the guys that sadly did not make the playoffs. Sadly, I mean, make the next round. Sadly, the guy that shouldn't have made the playoffs and lost me $10, Michael McDowell, still a little bit mad on that because I would have been winning the bet money this year. Um, he does not make it to the round of – 12 also joining them, Eric Amarola, Tyler Reddick, and Kurt Busch. Surprise, Kurt Busch couldn't get get through as he's kind of like a veteran of the sport, and I thought he would probably at least easily make it. He has that flat tire at Richmond that kind of cost him, but those are the four guys that do not make it on to the round of 12 and will be racing pretty much just to win. So uh, great race at Bristol, top five race this year, in my opinion. Um, it's great, just great. Love the night race. Just to recap, before the playoffs, Connor and I picked who would be eliminated each round. I have the list right here. Connor, you picked McDowell, checkmark, Almirola, checkmark, Reddick, checkmark, and Christopher Bell. You come one short of the clean sweep. But uh, very, very good job picking those guys. Um, yeah, we shall see how, how it goes for the, for the playoffs to continue I picked McDowell, Almirola, Kozlowski, and Bell. So uh, I only got two right. But, yeah, we we did okay. We did okay. I don't, I don't think many people thought a veteran like Kurt Busch would make it out um, the first round just because of how, uh, how experienced he is. But I think that flat tire at Richmond pretty much killed him, and he had had a good race at Bristol, and that team just not show up. So um, wish I went four for four, but at least I'm beating you for bragging rights. Yes. Uh, Connor, I think we should just discuss the schedule now because we're running out of time here and it shouldn't take us too long. So later in the program, we'll talk about this is segment three and segment four because we thought when we recorded those, we recorded the interview and then we recorded the, the, the Vegas preview first. Uh, we thought at that point we were going to do four segments, but we'll just do three this week. So Connor, big, big news on the schedule. Pocono loses the doubleheader. It's not even on the same weekend this year. Only one race at Pocono, and it's in, like, late July. It's almost a whole month later than it was this year. What are your thoughts on that? First on, could we take a moment of silence for the doubleheader of Pocono, which I think was one of the best decisions NASCAR's made and was honestly great racing and had a ton of fans. I think they made a mistake on this one. Um, but let's take a moment of silence for the annual doubleheader weekend at Pocono. <laughs> all right that's good enough but uh i mean why why do you take it was it's one year one year experience and it was one year it was great racing and had a ton of fan turnout i didn't make a mistake i think they did not give it enough time and i think they're honestly going to pay for it at gateway which we'll talk to you about we'll talk about with that being a new track added but not a fan and if you're going to take a race away please just keep it on the same weekend. Why are you moving in a month later? And now I don't know if I can go because we go late, late July is usually vacation time for my family. I just don't know um, what the schedule hopes to fall, but I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that we're not um, away on that weekend and we can go to that, that weekend race again. But sad to see it go. Wish they kept it around because I think it was really good. It was a really good turnout, but um, it's what it is. And, and it's not my decision at the end of the day, and I can't complain about it. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, probably makes sense from a TV perspective. I think both races were above average for Pocono this year. But uh, 
I'm also really happy to see Gateway. It's another cool oval, unique oval onto the track. I think that should put on a great show. Um, some other things of note, Richmond is moved out of the playoffs. Homestead is back in. They reshuffled it a little bit. I think Vegas is now in uh, October, as our, our guest said. I, I actually should have the schedule up. Uh, but Homestead is back in the round of in the playoffs, not the final four, but it's in the round of eight. Love which... the move. Love it. Love it. Love it. I think it's a great move. Take Richmond out, which is kind of like a boring race, not going to lie, and put a Homestead in. Absolutely love the move. I think they nailed this one right. Yes, and uh, Circuit of the Americas is now in March. That should be interesting. All-Star Race, as our guest will mention, is moved back right before the Coke 600. Worldwide technology, that's Gateway, will be right after the Coke 600. Pocono is on July 24th. Watkins Glen is the 25th race of the regular season. uh, The penultimate race of the regular season. That should be interesting. First round of the playoffs goes as follows. Darlington, Kansas, Bristol. Second round, Texas, Dega, Charlotte, Roval. Third round, Vegas, Homestead, Martinsville. That should be an amazing round. And finally, Phoenix hosts the championship race again. Uh, cutoff race for the regular season is at Daytona again this year with Road America back on 4th July weekend. One race at Dover, one race at Watkins Glen, one race at Pocono. Connor and I are going to try to get to all three races. We can also do Richmond, actually, Connor, if it's a day race. Yeah, we're, we're kind of talking here, but I think we're going to try at least get Pocono. Uh, hopefully schedules match up Dover and Watkins Glen. all go visit them in person. But I think they nailed the playoffs. I think they're great rounds. They're designed great. And I think I would have to give them a 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 on, on those playoff rounds. I think they pretty much chased it. Yeah, and one more thing to note. We didn't talk about this too much. The clash will be at L.A. Coliseum. They'll only have a 20-car field, give or take. It'll be a quarter-mile track in that stadium. And it's the week between the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. I think that's a really good spot for it. It also gives teams almost two weeks to travel back to Daytona. And, you know, as sad as it is to see it go from Daytona, you know, there is a good point in the fact that it should bring a lot of eyes, a lot of fans, and it should be a very, very interesting race. Yeah, and you'll hear – let's keep listening because the next segment we interview, interview a special guest who actually helps create the schedule, and he had some really good points. Very, very good interview, in my opinion, one of our best yet. So um, make sure you go and stick around and listen to it because I think it was great. You hear pretty much the insight of NASCAR making the schedule, which people are always – having issues with and good points with. So stick around. I thought it was a great interview. I had a lot of great points. And if you want to listen to what we think a lot more on the clash idea, we have a podcast for a couple of weeks ago. Where we talked about more in depth on the, on the clash going to LA. So make sure you go check that out. But um, it is what it is. And we can't really, we can't do anything about it, but uh, yeah. hate to see Pocono go, but uh, the doubleheader go at least, but at least they have one more race. Um, but Really wish they kept Pocono or have two races at Dover, but um, at least there's still one Pocono race. Yeah, and I think that would be even more concerned to completely wipe it off the schedule, which I think would be a horrible move because just like the tricky triangle aspect of it, it just oh fascinating racetrack might be boring, but had two great races this year. At least you got another year just to kind of race. So um, if if you're gonna take Pocono off, Richmond should go first. So um, just. Saw the schedule did pretty good this year, and um, I think it was successful in the end. Even not not being biased because I would clearly say it wasn't good if um, since Pocono lost the race, but I think it was a successful schedule for next year. I think it'll be fun to watch. Yes, and uh, of course we don't know what any of these tracks are going to race like next year because of next gen cars. So that should be another very interesting wrinkle. One more thing, Bristol Dirt is on Easter Sunday, and it's a night race. I think that's a really cool idea. The night race, I think, should do a lot better with the visibility concerns. It'll be exciting to see how that goes. Yeah, and in our next in the interview, we talk a little bit about Bristol and Bristol Dirt and Bristol night race and stuff like that. And I think it brings up another fascinating, fascinating story, like aspect of 
out NFL, NBA, and kind of NASCAR, having them having a special date. So with the dirt race being on, on Easter. So stick around for that. It's going to be great. Um, really enjoyed interviewing him. It was a great, great, great interview. And Ethan, we're going to close out this segment. Yeah, coming up next, we interview SMI executive. I'm not sure. We still weren't sure entirely what his title was, but he said he helps to make the schedule. He knows a lot about this, how they put together the schedule. Mike Birch coming up next. He works at SMI. That's coming up next in segment two of the Quick Pit Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Quick Pit Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan, joined as always by Connor. He's back this week from being sick, as we mentioned last week. And this week, we have a very special guest on, Mike Birch from Speedway Motorsports. He's here to talk with us about the schedule that was recently released and Bristol and some other stuff like that. So uh, we'll start it right off with, um, how did you get to this spot in your career? How did you get to the role that you have right now? Well, as we were talking about before we started uh, recording here, uh, I grew up up there not too far away from you guys in Reading, Pennsylvania, and uh, then went to school down in North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and got my master's uh, down at Georgia Southern, and actually started in the NBA, uh, started off working with the Magic, uh, and then I went over and worked with the Rockets for a while, and then my wife being from North Carolina, we uh, wanted to get back close to home, so I came to work for the Hornets, and when they left for New Orleans, I started looking for opportunities to stay in sports and obviously NASCAR, the NASCAR industry being based here in Charlotte, a lot of opportunities and had a relationship uh, with Marcus Smith. Uh, now, now our CEO then was the head of business development. And uh, here I am uh, you know, almost uh, 19 years later, uh, still working for Speedway Motorsports and uh, enjoying the role of chief strategy officer. And the, the strategy is to be a successful company. So that's uh, what I focus on, how to help uh, uh, Marcus and our other leaders uh, make Speedway Motorsports as successful as possible. You mentioned that you're chief strategy officer for Speedway Motorsports. What exactly do you do for that that role, and what what's your role in making the schedule? Um, really, just try again, try to help uh, help Marcus uh, lead the company, help carry out his vision, uh, work with all of our different leaders that are our general managers uh, in each one of our speedways. We also have. Uh, a variety of leaders in each of the different areas, marketing, ticketing, uh, operations, events, uh, work with that group as well. Um, a lot of strategy is learning what to say no to. So we get a ton of opportunities uh, to uh, get involved in a variety of projects. So a lot of time I'm, I'm going through those and looking at those and seeing if those make sense for us to use our resources as a company to be involved with. And through the years, uh, work with Marcus on, on the schedule and uh, have uh, you know, been involved with that for, for a while now. So uh, working with, with Ben Kennedy and Steve O'Donnell and Steve Phelps at NASCAR, as well as, as the other promoters, to try to put together a schedule that makes sense for uh, our fan base, makes sense for the broadcast partners, uh, makes sense from a competition point of view for, for the teams. Uh, you got to take a lot of different uh, factors into account, the weather, other events nearby, uh, the travel uh, for the teams and for, you know, kind of the circus week to week, where they go to. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard to sometimes be on the road for a long period of time. So um, and a lot of these, you know, you have a couple tent pole events that, you know, you always know kind of Daytona is going to be, I think only one year, maybe it hasn't run on President's Day. You know, the Coke 600 is going to be on Memorial Day weekend. You know, we've got now the, the Darlington, uh, the Southern 500 being on Labor Day weekend. So you kind of look at the schedule. We put those tent poles into place and then you try to look back and fill in. Uh, the rest of the schedule. And, and there's a lot of what's called date equity. So people get in the habit of going to certain events at certain times of the year. So every time you move an event off of its traditional weekend, you know, you run the risk of breaking a habit that somebody has built up over a long period of time. So no, no race date is shifted or moved without, I think, a lot of consideration. At least we put a lot of consideration into it is, is how does this help the fans? How does this make the sport better if we're going to move, move these dates around. So that's a little bit of the, of the thinking about what goes into it. 
What was the thought process behind the addition of multiple new road courses to the schedule? And how did you guys decide which ones to add, which ones to not? Because there are so many great tracks in, in the country that you could have gone to. Why did you come up with the ones you did? Well, I think first and foremost, it comes from listening to the fans and uh, not just what the fans say on social media, but look at people who are buying tickets, look at what people are watching. Uh, you know, those, those are real people who have what we call skin, skin in the game. Um, so the, you know, social media is, is kind of a one perspective on things, but there's nothing more important than that person has actually spent their money, bought a ticket, spent their time and effort to come to a race. So we really, really listen to, to folks who are ticket holders. Uh, we really listen to people who are broadcasting uh, the races, people who have made investment uh, in the, in the sport. And what we have been hearing throughout the years is that, you know, the road course racing has been really good, really competitive, really exciting, a lot more banging beating, uh, you know, Watkins Glen, Sonoma. Uh, so how do we add more? Just like, how do you add more short track? Short track racing uh, has been, has been really good. Um, so, so how do, how do we do more, more with that? And then you really, the biggest factor is, are these facilities safe enough to run a NASCAR cup level race? And fans get really excited about talking about a lot of, of the great venues across the country, but a lot of those venues, uh, do they have the infrastructure to be able to conduct a race? There's more than just having a circle of asphalt or a ribbon of asphalt uh, to run a race. If it's a, if it's a larger track, first and foremost, does it have safer barrier? Is it safe for the competitors? Are there are all the, the different angles and all the different walls and all the stru different structures properly protected that if there is an accident, you know, that a stock car running into that at whatever angle, it's going to be safe for the drivers. So that takes a lot of those facilities, you know, just off the table. Do they have enough pit stalls? You know, if you don't have, you know, 38, 39, 40 pit stalls, it's really tough to conduct the event. If you don't have the infield infrastructure, if you don't have the, you know, enough bathrooms, enough concession stands, enough parking, enough access, uh, you know, these are our big events. You know, even even today, you're still talking about events with 60, 70, 80,000 people. And it may be great to, to run an event that, you know, seats 20, 25,000 people. But you've got to you've got to be able to, to pay the purse out of that. You've got to be able to 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 have everybody, you know, at least make some money on on it. And if you have such a, a small venue, it's really tough to generate enough of the revenues to make it make sense to take a race there, to make it worth the teams and the drivers efforts to get out there. So, so that takes a lot of, a lot of tracks, you know, off the table right away that you need to spend, you know, tens of millions of dollars in order to get them up to the point they could even consider running a cup level, cup level race. So that's, that's one challenge. But then you, when you look at a, a track like circuit of the Americas, which is a world-class racing facility, we had to get a little creative and we kind of went back to the future and looking at our chairman, Bruton Smith used to run races and he would go out and rent a facility and promote, sell the tickets, run the event, pay the rental fee, and uh, pay the purses, and hopefully he made some money. And that's really what we did with Circuit of the Americas. We sat down with their team and said, what would it take for us to basically rent this facility from you uh, for a weekend, have our team come in, promote it, sell the tickets, manage the event, we'll pay you a fee, we'll, we'll make it worth your while to, to help us uh, with your local knowledge. But I think we came to agreement that everybody ended up uh, doing very well on the fans, had a great time. There's a tremendously positive response, even with all the rain. And we're really excited to be going back there. So you look at, at what venues have hosted events in the past and then what, what's their existing schedule. So where do the available weekends fit in? Does the, does the venue already, are they already hosting another type of racing there? Um, and so the, it gets, the field gets narrowed pretty quick, but you look at, at what we've been able to do over the last couple of years with bringing uh, Road America onto the schedule, uh, going back to Gateway uh, with the, the Dover Group, reopening Nashville Speedway and running a race there. We have been able to go to some other venues. So we'll continue to explore uh, you know, places that, that make sense. And then, you know, again, does it make sense? Is it better to move the race there? Um, and it's not all about the bottom line. Uh, does it help move the sport forward? Does it create new fans in a new marketplace? At, in Austin, for example, 70% of our ticket buyers were new to our database. So we had a whole lot of new fans who came out to see NASCAR because we went to a new market. So the nice thing about, you know, we used to be a public company where we were very beholden to the shareholders and we had to, had to consider them. They were really the owners of the company. And when you're a private company, you can really look at, well, what's best for the people who own your company? So when you look at the, the Smith family and the France family, we can think long-term. We can think in terms of what's best 
generations from now, not just what's best for the next quarter or the next year, but what does Wall Street want to see as far as, as our stock price? We can make decisions that have a little bit longer time frame. So that lets you be a little more flexible and try new things. So you can try throwing dirt uh, down to Bristol and, uh, and seeing how fans respond and seeing how the racing responds. And, you know, we heard, got a lot of feedback. The fans wanted a night race. Uh, competitors want a night race, really. And, uh, you know, they felt the race will be better. So uh, we talked with, you know, you have to look at your broadcast partners and the window they had was on Sunday night on Easter weekend. So uh, Fox came to us with a, a really interesting idea of what if we took Easter weekend and made it a tentpole weekend like the NFL has done on Thanksgiving, like the NBA has done on Christmas, like the NHL is trying to do on New Year's Day with their outdoor series. We're going to put the full Fox marketing effort behind turning a Sunday night, Easter Sunday dirt race at Bristol into an iconic event. So uh, we like to take chances. We like to try new things. So we thought, hey, we'll, we'll try it. And you know, the results will speak for themselves. The fans will respond and it'll be a positive and people will watch or it won't. We'll try something else. Speaking of Bristol, this was actually our next question. Uh, it's probably a top five track in NASCAR right now. And it had some great racing this year. What was the process like on deciding to make one of the races dirt and of course having the night race, which was one of the best races in the year, in my opinion. Yeah. it uh, you know, really, it was, it was looking at not unlike the Roval in Charlotte is we had a race in the spring that, uh, that was doing really well with the Coke 600. The fall race just didn't have an identity. didn't have pizzazz. Not as many fans came. There wasn't much excitement about it. So we thought, what can we do differently? to create something unique in the fall and not di much different than when we looked at Bristol and you know, the spring race didn't have the attendance. It didn't have the energy, the electricity, uh, even the, the same style of racing that, uh, that the fall race had. So, so what could we do differently? And again, we took a page out of going back to the future and 40 years ago, the cup series level ran, ran dirt races. So what if we ran a dirt race at Bristol? It's got the banking, you know, it's been done before, not the cup level. And uh, Fox thought, hey, that's a great idea. We love it. And uh, the teams were willing to kind of take a chance with us and uh, put on was was really a super cool show to watch. And, then, you know, again, the response was really positive and said we we learned a lot and we can do better. So we said, let's we want to do it again next year. So it's really how do you take you know an event or a weekend that maybe needs something different? And then the other thing with the with the night race is. Frankly, you know, we thought, what, how could we make the night race better? And moving it to a cutoff race, I think, has totally changed the dynamic. Uh, you know, I don't think you would have seen the level of, of racing and at least the intrigue, particularly around that, you know, the, the Almirola, Byron, you know, racing for that last playoff spot. That doesn't happen if this race happens in August, if it's three races before the playoffs. You don't have that level of, of tension. You don't. Uh, you know, I think you might have seen, you know, the Harvick chase thing happen no matter what track because they were just getting a little bit tired of running into each other, frankly. But you would not have seen, you know, the all guy or Cindric sliding across the start finish line, the Xfinity race, you know, sideways if you weren't, you know, competing for the for a regular season you know, championship and getting those bonus points. You know, the Daytona uh, race uh, as the final race of the regular season has totally changed the dynamic from when it was in, in July. So you can also, you know, kind of change the feel and change the competitive landscape by looking at where do you place it in the schedule and how does it feed in to the broader picture. So I think moving, you know, the night race to a cutoff race has created, uh, you know, for a couple of years now, a ton of, a ton of drama, a ton of excitement. And, you know, those three races uh, we had this past weekend were just were outstanding at every level. Um, so with the great race we had, or the great races we had this weekend, there's a lot of talk going around, like, you know, why can't they go three times to Bristol? Why can't you have two pavement races in addition to the dirt race? Why can't you go to a normal dirt track instead of putting dirt on Bristol? I'm assuming those options have all been explored, but uh, can you talk us through that a little bit? Yeah, you're, you're always looking at opportunities. Again, I go back to how many of those, those purpose-built dirt tracks are safe enough and have the capacity to handle uh, the cup series. And there just, there aren't a lot of them. I don't know if there's, there's maybe any of outside of Eldora that, you know, potentially could do it. And even Eldora, you have to make certain concessions because of the side of the track and they've produced some great racing in the truck series. And uh, you know, we had a, a truck race at Knoxville, which again, I think will, you know, if they continue that will be, will continue to improve and grow and learn. So, 
you know, again, nothing is ever off the table and you're always looking at how do we make the schedule? How do we make our events the best event possible? But if you're going to do a third race at Bristol, where does it come from? Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's always the question. It's always great to, to kind of make these, you know, these, you know, throw these ideas out in a vacuum, but the reality of it is, you know, something has to be, you have to give something up. Does that shift actually make things better, big picture? Um, and again, the fact that, you know, we can, we can continue to make changes, continue to evolve. You know, we've seen the, the all-star race go from Charlotte to Bristol to Texas. And we really felt like the fans in Texas, as much as they embraced the all-star race last year, because it happened during COVID, they didn't really get a chance to have the full all-star experience. So we're going to go back to, to Texas again. You know, we moved it back to its traditional before the 600 uh, weekend, you know, again, with the, the weather there was definitely a factor. It can get hot in, the, in Texas in, in June. So it may not seem like a lot, but three weeks can make a big difference. You know, we're going to see that out in Las Vegas where the race uh, that's out there this weekend will actually be in October next year. And that's going to make a huge difference in how comfortable fans are because it'll be significantly cooler in Las Vegas in October than it is uh, this time of the year. So you try things, you, you learn, uh, you adjust, you evolve, and uh, you, know, you keep listening to the fans and you keep watching what are they doing? Are they buying tickets? Are they coming? You keep, are they viewing? You know, those are the things that, that really make an impact. Well, you said you explore all these options, and there's two tracks that uh, were added in Gateway and the Clash being moved to the L.A. Coliseum, which is a football stadium, has plenty of resources. Take us through your thoughts on those two new tracks and uh, just what you think about them. Yeah, that, those were, you know, again, those were kind of a decision that NASCAR made. Uh, those were their dates that they had at their other, other venues. They actually were able, I think, I assume, to work out an agreement with Pocono, uh, to take you know one of their dates and move it uh, to Gateway, and then they were looking to do something different in uh, with with the Clash. And uh, you know last year they ran on the road course, and uh, you know you also have to look at the landscape more broadly. All all these sporting events, all these things impact each other. So the NFL goes to a 17 week season. It changes the dynamic in the playoffs and the with, when the Super Bowl is held. And uh, you know, you, you've been away from the Los Angeles market for a significant period of time. So is there a chance to, to do something that gets uh, a lot of attention, something new, something different in a very big market with a lot of eyeballs, with a lot of race fans? You know, New York and L.A., believe it or not, on a number of people basis are usually one of the top two or three markets in terms of number of people watching because there's so many people there. So we get caught up in ratings sometimes and we don't look at the viewership numbers, but there's an awful lot of people in those two cities who like to watch racing. It's just the fact there's an awful lot of people there in general, sometimes cover up the covers that fact up, but a lot of, a lot of car fans in California. So going and doing something different, you know, we'll, we'll see. You're certainly, you'll want to watch, you know, it's going to be maybe like a quarter mile track. I mean, it's going to be pretty tight. And uh, it's not going to be a full field. So that's why doing the clash, I think, makes a lot of sense. You don't have 38 or 39 or 40 cars. It's going to be a smaller field. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And if it works out, maybe it becomes an annual event. And if not, maybe it's an opportunity to take this event to another market. Are there any tracks that you or NASCAR want to add to the schedule, but something is in the way? And that's excluding what you talked about earlier with, like, the infrastructure. Are there tracks that something other than the infrastructure you want to add? I can't. I don't think so. Um, you know, you, we definitely have seen that you want to try to get the, you know, get the sport out as broadly as possible. And uh, there's certainly areas of the country that don't have a significant number of races, but you also have a significant number of races in certain areas of the country because those people support the racing. So, uh, you know, you never move a race that is successful. If it's getting good corporate support in terms of the sponsorship and the entitlement and people are buying tickets and they're having a good time, you know, you're not going to see those, those races move. So, um, but you always want to want to look for new opportunities. And again, things ebb and flow for a while. You know, I mean, when I started in the sport 20 years ago, you know, fans hated road courses. Nobody, they would, they would never go to a road course. And now again, road courses seem to be some of our most entertaining races. We've got great races at the Roval, great race at Watkins Glen, great finish at Sonoma. Uh, you know, I think the Road America experiment was received very positively. I think that's on its way to becoming a 4th of July tradition. We had a great experience at Circle of the America. So, you know, things cycle. So you've got to be flexible. You've got to stay open-minded and you've got to listen to your customer. And that's ultimately what we're all trying to do. 
I know you said you explore anything, but has there been any conversations about maybe going up to Canada for a race or two? Canada has been a, a great market for the Xfinity series and for the truck series. Um, that's one of those challenges where uh, much like when the Raptors or the Canadians are in the finals, of their respective sports, that uh, our TV partners don't get any credit from the advertisers for broadcasting in Canada. So that really doesn't add any value to them from a ratings or an advertising perspective. And, uh, and this sport is very valuable to our broadcast partners. I think that's one of the things that sometimes get, gets lost when you look at some other sports and some other motorsports where fans are saying, oh, there's too many commercials, there's, you know, there's, you know, there's too much TV involved. Well, the reason that TV is involved is because these are valuable to advertisers. You know, when you watch a sport that's shown commercial free, that's pretty much saying there's not a lot of demand to put advertising into that sport. So you have to trade off the balance of, do I have commercial interruption? But that allows the sport to be broadcast to a much broader audience because those advertisers ultimately pay the, pay the bills and pay for the sport to, to exist and for that broadcast to go on. So you're constantly having to weigh, how do we make sure that we can, can put these events on in a way that makes it worth everybody's while and balance that with the quality experience. And I think one of the challenges with even overseas or with Canada is A, does it provide value to the team sponsors? So how many team sponsors are getting value about showcasing their brand in Canada? Does it provide value to the TV partners? You know, do they get, you know, can they generate the amount of revenue they need in order to make these broadcasts successful? And then how do you serve serve the race fan? And uh, there certainly are some great tracks up there that you know have, have hosted NASCAR events in the past. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw uh, a cup race in Canada somewhere down the road or Mexico for that matter. Um, you know, that's you get off the continent of the U.S. and it gets a little more challenging in terms of transporting 40 cars when you're racing every every weekend. So, you know, international racing, uh, you know, until we get a, a more viable uh, model to, to move the sport around, I think will be a challenge. But, uh, you know, if, if it makes sense for the sport, if it makes sense for the people involved in the sport to go to Canada or Mexico, uh, I wouldn't see any reason why it wouldn't be an option, but I wouldn't say, uh, you know, we're actively looking at moving any of our races to Mexico or Canada. Um, in your opinion, was the revamp schedule for this season a success? I think so. Uh, you know, we had we had some real groundbreaking moves this year that have played out really well. I think every year you you know you you learn and you move, we've moved the sport forward. I think again we talked about you know the, a lot of the moves made last year with the playoffs. I think were really impactful as far as creating more drama uh, for the playoffs, creating uh, more more excitement for the fans. So I thought that was a, a big win with the Bristol race with the Roval. I think changing up the the playoff races for next year is going are going to add a new twist. Putting Miami into the playoffs, Miami's always had had really competitive, exciting racing. So I think that's that's a plus. I think we're able to to bring uh, some new tracks to market. We're able to reposition uh, some events, maybe to to be better in terms of weather and other events going on, on around. So it's always a trade off, and uh, sometimes what looks great on paper when you actually get there. Uh, you know, when you only do something once a year and you're an outdoor sport, uh, weather can uh, make the best decision look questionable. So you do the best you can and you make the best of it. And our fans are just so great at adapting to the, to the conditions. And so many fans who, you know, who's, who came to the, the race at Coda and had a great time, even though, you know, the weather w was terrible or, or at Texas in the playoffs last year <laughs> where we didn't race until Wednesday and we still had, you know, fans showing up, you know, that's, you just you can't underestimate the value and the importance of having a, a loyal fan base. But I'm you know I'm excited about seeing how the rest of this year plays out. Quite frankly, I think we're going to have a, a heck of a, a round of twelve here, and it's only get tighter and tighter and more interesting. And uh, you know, there's a whole lot of guys who could uh, end up with that trophy uh, in Phoenix. And then I think next year we've got a really uh, exciting schedule that uh, you know again should should bring a lot of variety, some new looks. Uh, we've got we haven't even talked about Atlanta and the whole new reprofiling there and that'll be a totally different racetrack and then every race is going to be different next year uh, with a new car so uh, really excited to see uh, the rest of this year and then eager to get going for next year well we could probably talk for hours on all these certain topics but what is your favorite track on the schedule and what what do you enjoy about that track 
Well, as I sit here in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, the races here at Charlotte Motor Speedway let me sleep in my own bed and uh, and see my family. So uh, enjoy those. Uh, going to Las Vegas is always uh, such an energetic, exciting city. Sonoma is beautiful. Uh, you know, again, we're we're lucky to have facilities that are in great markets. So going to Atlanta, uh, the people down there are you know, so welcoming and always enjoy that. Said Sonoma is beautiful. New England, New Hampshire in the in the summer, while uh, you know the heat is unbearable uh, around the rest of the country. Getting up to New England, getting a lobster is always a, a nice a nice break. Uh, you know we're really fortunate now to have uh, have facilities that are in great markets that are a lot of fun. Always a lot of things to do uh, if you can get away from the racetrack. Uh, always different things going on, visiting the stockyards or always stuff going on in the Dallas Fort Worth market. So I like, and then Bristol is Bristol. So uh, I like going to, to all of them. It's just enough travel to be interesting and fun. Uh, you know, some the, the race teams, you know, with next year with only having one off weekend, you know, those guys put in a lot of work and hopefully this, some of the transition of this new car will help uh, some of their workload. It's going to be a lot of heavy lifting to kind of make the transition of the new car. It may take a couple of years for that benefit to play out, but uh, you know, there's a lot of people who work awfully hard making sure this event goes off every week. If I, real quick, I can tell you a story. We were down at the, at the uh, final four uh, in, uh, I guess it was down in San Antonio. And we were there with uh, some folks from Lowe's and they had arranged for kind of a pre, uh, pre-game tour of the facility to kind of see what was going on. And one of the, the stops they really had, had touted was being able to go to the CBS production truck and be able to see what goes on into putting on uh, the final four in the national championship. And Sean McManus is chairman of, of CBS uh, sports was there and uh, asked us, you know, Hey, where were we were from and what do we do? And we said, Oh yeah, we're, we're, we're from Texas motor speedway and you know, we work in NASCAR and his face just fell and he was so disappointed. And he was like, well, but this isn't going to be very much for you, for you. Cause you guys do this every weekend. I was going to show you all the cameras and all the bells and whistles, but you guys do it every weekend. You pick it up and you move it somewhere else. So, he got to show us an early clip of one shining moment, which was the big highlight, but he was just so like the amount of work that goes into the broadcast partners of moving this series, you know, race to race, week to week, and the amount of technology and the amount of coverage they put into it. He was getting ready to show off all his, his fun new tools. And then he found out, oh, NASCAR, this is just another day, another weekend for you guys. So, yeah, I mean, they, they had a lot of like 45 minutes for the tour and it's just like, okay, well, what are we going to do? Cause there's really not a lot that you guys are going to be really wowed about because what you guys do is amazing. So there's a lot going on. Uh, a lot goes into putting on the sport. Uh, a lot of people spend a lot of time and are really committed uh, and hopefully it shows through in uh, the passion and uh, of, of our folks, our ushers, and our ticket takers, and our concession workers and our safety workers and teams and the broadcast partners and just everybody that goes into making sure the fans ha- have a good time. And there's nothing better to see a smile on, on a fan's face and, uh, you know, to see them walking out, you know, talking about the race to see a family uh, who's just uh, made a memory, shared a weekend. Yeah, that really is what, what makes it worthwhile. Finally, who's your pick for A, the championship, and B, this weekend's race at Las Vegas? Huh. Yeah, I, I would say just given on the history that, uh, you know, Kyle Larson seems to be, you know, be running pretty darn well. So I think he's he can get, uh, get through every – I think this weekend at Las Vegas is going to be – a really, really compelling race because the next two races after that, you know, are much more wide open when you're going to uh, going to Talladega and then coming to the Roval, anything can happen. So, uh, you know, I, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to go with, with, again, these are kind of cliche picks, but I think the Toyotas are going to run well at Las Vegas. Um, I'm going to go with the Vegas guy, uh, Kyle Busch, although I wouldn't shock me if, if Denny Hamlin, uh, or, or, or probably, probably I'll say Martin Truex. Martin Truex is probably the guy who's going to win. Um, I'd like to see Kyle win cause he's a Vegas guy, but I think, uh, I think it's going to come down to, I think Kyle's going to be Kyle, uh, Larson's going to be competitive for the championship. Uh, I think Denny Hamlin's going to be competitive for the championship. Um, I don't know who the other two are going to be, but, uh, yeah, if I had to, if I, if I'm out in Vegas and you say, here's a, here's a free bet, I'm going to bet, uh, Larson to win the championship and Truex to win the race. Would you like to shout yourself out on social media? Give yourself uh, where you can be found on, on social media. 
Um, yeah, I'm at, uh, I think it's at Mike Birch SM uh, on, on Twitter and uh, not real active there, not a real active poster and not a real active follower. So, uh, um, you know, I, I follow enough to, to kind of keep up what's going on. But uh, now I find I have more than enough uh, with my responsibilities here, with making sure my wife is happy, spending time with my kids, um, just keeping up with what's going on uh, in the sport. So uh, um, I dabble in social media a little bit, but uh, not super, super active. But, uh, you know, again, spending time with, with race fans, the people who are buying the tickets and who are coming, uh, coming out to the track. That's uh, that's where I spend most of my time. Well, it's a good thing that you're active enough because that's how we got you on the show. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate you spending some time with us to talk about the schedule. And, uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Congratulations. Really, really impressed and, uh, and glad to see uh, you guys taking this on. And hopefully you're uh, spreading the message to a lot of your friends. And you guys are the next generation of race fans. So always glad to, to support uh, the, the, next, the next gen. So take care, guys. Thank you again. Uh, and coming up next, we will – Preview the racing at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. That's coming up next on the Quick Pit Podcast. Welcome back to the Quick Pit Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan, joined by Connor. As always, he's back from being sick last week. Thanks again to Zen, Eric from ZZC for coming on. And guest hosting in a pinch there. Uh, so we have the first race of the round of 12 coming up at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Should be a pretty interesting one. Vegas has been one of the more racier mile and a half recently. It's another night race, kind of the last night race of the year. It's on a Sunday night, which is a real shame. Yeah, and my sleep schedule is going to be pretty messed up, but I'll get through it. I'm going to quickly mention the 12 drivers that are in the playoffs. And this is actually the starting lineup, so we're going to go 12 to 1. Uh, so this will be starting 12th, and these are the 12 playoff drivers that are competing in the round of 12. Chris Rebell, Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, Brad Kosowski, Alex Bowman, Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick, Martin Jones Jr., William Byron, Ryan Blaney, and Kyle Larson. So those are the 12 guys trying to move on to the round of eight. And the three tracks is Las Vegas, which we're going to preview here, Talladega, and the Charlotte Roval. And this is probably going to be – people are going to go all for it this weekend because who knows what can happen in the next two races. I completely agree. I think this the, the urgency of the next two races is going to make this one chaotic as well. And it shall be very interesting because the Hendrick Chevys have been really good on the 550 tracks this year. Kyle Larson has called off yet another win. But yet the Toyotas showed the most strength last round of the round of eight or round of 16. So it'll be very fascinating to see how this one goes. Connor, who are some drivers to watch out for at Las Vegas? Well, I think I got to go with the pole winner, Kyle Larson. He won here earlier this year, and I think he's probably going to be the favorite. But I want to quickly mention that, yes, Ethan said it'll be 7 o'clock on a Sunday on NBCSN. 267 laps, 400.5 miles. Track info, Las Vegas, built 1996, super speedway, paves, mile and a half. Cost of people will be 55. Yes, so as you mentioned, Kyle Larson won the last race here in the spring. Uh, I'm trying to pull it up quick. I was not prepared. Um, last fall, Kurt Busch won here. That was the, the fall race, um, which uh, was his annual win. And he's not in the playoffs anymore. But those uh, Ganassi Chevrolets have been really fast recently. So maybe, maybe just maybe he's a shot. Maybe under or uh, underdog wildcard pick Kurt Busch. Martin Trix Jr. has two wins here. Joey Logano has a couple. Uh, Kyle Busch obviously has won a couple of races here. Uh, Brad Kozlowski has three wins at this track. Kevin Harvick has two. Anyone else, Connor, that I'm forgetting? Nope, just pick an HMS or Joe Gibbs racer, and you'll probably get one right. All right, we'll get on to our picks, Connor. Actually, hold on. One underdog from you. I'll give one as well. Man, I've got to go with Tal- – got to go with Ross Chastain, I mean. Ross Chastain being Kurt Busch's teammate, he is – you saw Kurt Busch's speed. Um, pretty faster for Kurt Busch, and Ross Chastain has probably been faster than some playoff drivers ever recent, as, even though he kind of was non-existent in Bristol. But um, I think Ross Chastain's going to be a sneaky pick and could possibly end up winning it. 
I would go with Tyler Reddick. He's out of the playoffs now. I think that qualifies him as an underdog. Um, could run the high line there. He's, he's been those RCR Chevys have showed a lot of speed this year. So Reddick is my underdog pick. Now, Connor, you picked first last week. So I get to pick first this week. I need there's six races left, and I need five points to win, four points to tie. So I'm gonna have to go on a tear here. And how can you not? pick Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson is my pick for this race. Our guest from the last segment, Mike Birch, he picked Martin Truex Jr. Connor can still pick him if he wants because uh, Birch is not a regular, but who's your pick, Connor? Well, it was going to be Kyle Larson, but uh, I guess you can't do that anymore. Um, uh, Got to go with Gibbs, got to go with Hendrick. Kyle Larson probably the most consistent because he chased Elliott even winning it, but I'm going to have to go with Kyle Busch. The Las Vegas Native, I think Kyle Bush will get it done. And series pick. I like series pick here. And I hope she wins. Hope she gets the first one of the season. She can't go, she can't go undefeated, right? She needs to get at least one right. And she's yeah. going Alex Bowman. So I would not mind a little Alex Bowman winning here uh, to lock himself into the round of eight with uncertainty coming up in the next round. So hope she's right. Hope she gets her first one. Yeah, I think Bowman is a sneaky pick. He was running very well there last year, wasn't he, Connor? Uh, yeah, well, he was running all good last playoffs last year, no matter what track he went to. So I don't know if we can really count that because his team just hit a hot streak, but coming off a solid run, hopefully he can get some momentum and, um, end up winning the thing. Yes, sir. All right, Connor, you want to close the, the show out? Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, hope you guys enjoyed long episode, four segments this week, but, uh, hope you did enjoy go follow us on Twitter. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Go check them out over on Twitter. All the links for everything will be in the description below. And we'll see you next week to cap. There's probably going to be another wild playoff race at Las Vegas. Thanks for listening.